people have opinions without being fully informed. Trust me, I'm a Canadian here. I don't care if you're a Christian, Messianic, or Hebrew roots. I want to know if your theology is biblical. Maybe I'm right. Of course I'm right. If you're going to cite a source, be responsible. You know, cite your source. Your longest college. Hey, we're just having a conversation. There's only 36 people listening anyway, right? You can Google it. Wow, at what point does history matter? At what point does truth matter? An alien invasion. Is it biblical? Of course it is. Look, there's a way to do scholarship and a way not to do scholarship. you got to cite your source. Who's your source? My best friend's sister's boyfriend's brother's girlfriend heard from this guy who knows his kid is going with the girl. And that about sums it up. What up and shalom? Welcome to the Robin Caleb Show, the show where theology matters, scholarship counts, and of course, theology matters. My name is Caleb Haig. With me, of course, Rob Van Hop. What up, Rob? How's it going, brother? It's going well. I still have to pinch myself to say, well, we, we've been doing this for... 174 shows. 174. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it just makes me laugh. It's pretty intense, isn't it? I, and, and actually, the migration of like how things have evolved on this show is pretty intense too. You know, we started by uh, pre-recording our shows once a week, and then now we've moved to uh, live streaming on YouTube and on the radio. And I have three screens and two keyboards. It's 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 really uh, we're moving up in the world. And this is a fun fact for Shalom, everybody in the chat room. Uh, this is a fun fact for our chat room and for uh, everyone out there who ha- listens to the show on a, on a regular basis. Last week at our peak uh, live listening, that's on the radio and on YouTube. And, and you know, this isn't a lot to anyone, uh, but uh, we certainly like this number. At the peak, there was 36 people listening. <laughs> that's not a joke. That's true. 36 people. Still with me, Rob? What's going on? Yeah, I'm just reading reading posts. What are you reading? I just I'm just looking at our Facebook page, man. There's we got some good I'm encouraged. Yeah. I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged by uh you know, the people that you know, whether it's thirty six or more or less from week to week. Yeah. It's really cool. It's like sitting down and drinking this isn't coffee, this is water today, but with some friends that are there. Yeah. They're here. They're here. They're with us. Exactly. Chat room's making suggestions that we actually start the stream about two minutes before the, the music actually starts. We'll do that next week. What we'll do is I'll come up with something fun to uh, to lead us in with. Okay. Well, what up and shalom to everybody out there in Radio Land and in YouTube Land. And, of course... Uh, yeah, we're just happy to have you here with us if you're watching live or if you're watching uh, on demand later in the week. Uh, send us emails, cheg at torresource.com. Don't forget to call our comment line, 253-465-3205. I'll give it to you again. It's 253-465-3205. And, of course, the Robin Caleb Show is brought to you by torresource.com, which is be- totally getting a, a facelift right now. We're, uh, it's like nonstop work. We've just totally overloaded. However, seeing some of the, the changes that are being implemented, and of course out there, you're not going to be able to see them yet because we haven't made them go live yet. 
Um, but we're shooting for the end of June. And uh, towards the end of June, you should see a total revamp of the site. And we're integrating all of the sites into one as well. So right now, the store and the and the site is not integrated the way that it should be. And so we're, we're trying to fix that. Um, anyway, so you can still go to Toro Resource right now and find all kinds of cool stuff. Tons of, uh, about 100 free articles you can find. Uh, you can listen to audio lectures. We have, obviously, a radio station that we uh, broadcast 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So, yeah, check it all out. And, uh, of course, at our programming desk, as always, Gary Springer. A big thanks to Gary for being with us and, uh, and helping produce this show. And, of course, uh, the Robin Caleb Show is also supported thus far by one group uh, beyond Torah Resource, and that is Yeshua Shirts, YeshuaShirts.com. Go to YeshuaShirts.com, and uh, you can get, what is it, 10% off? I think they're giving us 10% off if you put in TR Radio at the in the coupon box at checkout. Uh, so check them out. And I have it from one of our listeners that uh, their sizes run a bit small. So get a size larger than you're used to. It doesn't mean you're getting fat. It just means that they have smaller shirts than usual. Okay. Um, so this should be a, a fun show. Before we get into, you know, okay, and this is a special. We do specials all the time, right? We have a, a Christmas special that we do every year, which is always a fun time. We have a Passover special, which was a blockbuster this year, right? We have, I, I haven't looked at it recently, but I think we, thousands of views on that, which was, uh, which was just a, probably one of the more fun shows we've ever done uh, with Dr. Brant Petrie. And uh, what a fun show that was. And then, um, of course, you know, throughout the, the weeks, we do different things. This week is our Shavuot. Special, And the reason it's our Shavuot special is because Rob and I will talk about uh, how we count the Omer and why we count the Omer uh, the way that we do. Uh, There's different countings out there. However, we will be uh, celebrating Shavuot next Tuesday night into Wednesday day. And so next week we won't have a a live show. We will have a pre-recorded show. We have something special for that show as well. We have a special guest coming on um, and it's going to be a lot of fun to have our guest on. And some of you will know his face. Some of you might not, but uh, you're just going to have to wait and see. It's going to be a good one. Okay, um, so until before we get to uh, all the Shavuot fun, and for those who don't know what Shavuot is, Shavuot is the festival of Pentecost, as it is uh, translated in your English Bibles, and uh, it's connected directly with Passover. We'll talk about that as well in a few minutes. Okay, but before we do that, last week... On the fly, we I gave a definition of what I meant by a believer. And uh, PJ, who is usually in the chat room, I don't know if he's uh, with us yet today or not, but um, he wrote me an email afterwards. And this is what he says. And this is a great point, by the way. This is I, I appreciate this email. He says, Viz your, uh, your and Rob's believer's definition. One, can a drunkard be a believer? 1 Corinthians 6, 10. Was Simone Magus, Acts 8, is the Pope. Number two, Matthew 7, 21 through 22. Um, those, and that's the not everyone who says Lord, Lord, but who does the will of the Father, does the will of the Father. Uh, those here excluded are believers by your definition. Okay, and this is true. So when... And he goes, he goes on. He gives a better definition of perhaps what a believer would be. This is true. The, the demons even uh, believe and know that Yeshua is the Messiah. 
and the Son of God, right? Um, And so uh, there are plenty of people out there who might believe that uh, Yeshua is the Messiah or something, but have not, uh, but don't have covenant relationship with the Lord. Um, So this is an excellent point. And words do matter. And our definitions do matter, right? And the way that we talk about things matter. Um, so this is good clarity. But the point is, is that, yes, I think that there are different ways to talk about believers. Someone that might believe is not necessarily a covenant member. And so uh, Peter goes on and he says, uh, is this a definition of a believer? A, believes Yeshua is God and Messiah. B, repents, implying repenting of sin, that is transgression of Torah, uh, according to 1 John 3, 4 and Acts uh, 5, 13. C, receives the Ruach as a result of desire to obey, where those without the uh, Ruach are not counted as Christians. And uh, for those who might not know what Ruach means, Holy Spirit or Spirit is really, yeah. Um, And then D, continues in walk with God with uh, which... God, I think he means uh, on a path or in a path of Torah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and, and this is, I think when we say, uh, you know, he's a believer or when we say uh, it's a group of believers or something like that, we're not just saying people who might believe but aren't covenant members. What we're trying it's, to... It's, yeah, it's a shorthand. We're, we're exactly. We're using a shorthand. And this is what I was essentially trying to... Uh, to convey, and I obviously didn't do it very well. So, a, a good thanks again to PJ. I'm glad. I'm glad that the passage from James was mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, if we could just zero in on that for a second, it's James sure. two. Um, he says in verse 19, he says, "You believe that God is one." hati You you are trusting that that God is one. Um. And then it says the demons believe. Mm. Um, it it could if it, it, I I think that uh, it is very plausible to understand that as kind of an an ellipsis. In other words, that the demons also believe that God is one. In other words, the the demons aren't out there. You know, they know that there's only one true God, right? Perhaps even uh, more than some of the people who who yeah. who so, are so, call um, call themselves believers, right? So it could be, you know, just to go a little more nuanced on that particular passage, because to be fair, James doesn't give an object. He just says the demons also believe and shudder. Um, but the first part of that verse is that he believe that God is one. It, we're given the object of the belief. Sure. And then obviously James' point is trusting, so reciting the Shema and believing the Shema is... You know, James is saying, I don't care. You know, sure, you recite the Shema and you've rejected um, Gentile uh, myths of God, sure. of deities and stuff like that. But that's no better than, you know, demons know that there's only one God. So uh, I just want to say that there's a, there's that uh, interpretive issue there. But, um, but yeah, the bigger point is fruit. Are you bearing fruit? Uh, is there works? That reflect genuine repentance, as John the Baptist talks about. Mm. Right? Don't don't just say we have Abraham as our father, right? Because God can raise up stones, yeah, you know, or raise up children of Abraham from these stones. And but, um, hang on, just a second. So, so on that's that super on, on yeah. that on that point, 
you know, this is one reason that I think it's so egregious to speak against Christians or to even speak against non-believing Jews as we don't know what God, you know, we don't know what God can do with, with their lives, you know, That's right. so, and, and uh, even, I think it's even more egregious to speak against people who are, who currently profess Yeshua as the Messiah and are true believers, because essentially you're, you're speaking against the children of God, God's chosen people. Yeah. I'm sorry. Keep going. Did you have more no, to your point? No, that's true. No, and and we just like I mean, I mean, we talk about this one a lot. We talk about Shaul and Paul a lot, right? I mean, if if we would have uh, go back in time where where Saul of Tarsus is persecuting the church, you know, the 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 churches in Judea and the churches in wherever, um, we can see that uh, to, that would be way premature to condemn him as lost in terms of, uh, like write him off. No, we're, they were supposed to continue to pray for him no matter what the suffering he was causing the, the disciples yeah. and their families, etc. Why? Because God was going to do something. So I, I think the scriptures make it clear we're to hold out hope for people, uh, in a, in a hope of mercy, you know, in a spirit of mercy and generosity. And obviously it doesn't always, uh, you know, there might be someone who's going to be cursed by God that we're extending kindness to. And that's, yeah. you know, but we're not told to withhold, you know, that kindness. Um, now, back to the tree model, though. I mean, Yeshua talks about uh, the parable. He talks about discipleship with the parable of the tree that's not bearing any fruit, right? And then yes. he says, cut down this tree. And the, 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 uh, gardener or you know the person who's overseeing the the tree says master let me you know let me work on it give me one more chance here and 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 see if we can get it fruitful and if not then we'll pull it down the guy's like okay good so what is that that's just this negotiation of of expecting fruit which we're to expect good fruit it's not like oh you're in and we don't care what you do right there there are there's a balance between growth and the generosity just like a tree is allowed to have to go through how many cycles before um before anyone can eat the fruit of it right the tree is given this time sure according to the torah and i think that we each have to have that time where we grow and it reminds me remember the calvinist uh, it was one of those uh, uh comic strips where they put the calvinist in the cage like right and he's like it's like uh He's in a cage because he has to go through like this transformation where he stops like throwing the Bible, you know, hitting people over the head with the Bible. <laughs> Did you ever see that one? No. Oh, it's it's great. It's great. The idea is that you know, someone who's on fire for God's sovereignty and for the kingdom, they at first they are so zealous that they don't know how to tone it down and actually be mature um, because they get real narrow-minded, yeah, right? Of course. And they get they're focused just on this. And they forget God's bigger picture. So, it's not that what it's not that what they're excited about isn't true. It's just that there's a context of of God's along with the the emmet, the truth. There's also it says Rav Chesed. He's abounding in loving kindness and he's long suffering and all these other uh, parts of of the bigger picture here that are, make up our 
our fullness as disciples sure. as we sure. grow. Anyway. Sure. Okay, so let's keep going. I want to uh, this now for those who receive our show notes. And, and by the way, if you don't receive our show notes, there's not a lot to them, really. There's usually maybe one little snippet. You know, there's a link to the show, and then there's a snippet of maybe a Bible verse that we're going to focus on. And then there's links. Well, sometimes there's hardly any links. Like today, there was only one link in the show notes. However, what I did do is I included an entire email that was sent to me by a gentleman named Andrew. And boy, was this a dynamite email. The whole And the reason I included it in the show notes was because the email was so good. It was long, so I didn't want to read the whole thing on air. But it was so good that I wanted people to be able to see it. So if you'd like to uh, receive our show notes, you can do that by going to torresource.com, hover over the radio tab uh, in the toolbar, and then go down to the Robin Caleb show. If you click on that, that's the Robin Caleb show page. We're still kind of updating it and trying to get it uh, to where we want it. But you can sign up for our show notes. That's the main function of that page right now is to sign up for the show notes. And then every uh, every Wednesday morning, you'll get uh, the show notes about two hours before we, we go on air. Um, so all that simply to say that th- that uh, this email is a really really good email and I and I want to thank Andrew for sending it in. I'm just going to read the very last uh, paragraph that uh, he has because this is where his uh, his main question is. So he says, "So my question is, when you advocate not simply forgetting about the rabbinic model as long as it, as its study is kept a historical endeavor, what does that mean for the non-specialist like me?" Is all the Mishnah I need to know already addressed and related back to our focus of scripture in books and articles like TRs and the books of E.P. Sanders? Basically, has the hard work already been done for me? Is there a need for the average Messianic to open a Dan B. or a Neusner translation of the Mishnah from time to time? And, and uh, his, his uh, longer email explains that you know he, he finds the, the Mishnah and the Talmud actually uh, difficult to read because he c- continues to see uh, non-believers advocating things that they don't truly understand uh, because they're missing the big piece of the puzzle, which is Yeshua, right? that they're missing that piece. And so this is where his question is coming from. This is an excellent question. Uh, There's several things that need to be broken down here. First of all, uh, what is a specialist? So for instance, I wouldn't consider myself a scholar. I am a student, there's no doubt about that, and and I'm continuing to grow in my understanding and my knowledge of, of the issues that I'm studying. Rob, I would consider as a specialist, and he's a specialist in in, uh, specific areas, right? Um, A biblical scholar is not going to be a specialist in everything. not in others. Yeah, exactly. But but that's my point. Yeah, not in a lot of Yeah, that's my point, though. I mean, and and some some you're going to see crossover. So, for instance, you know, uh, a friend of the show is is uh, Dr. Marty Abeg. Dr. Abeg is uh, is a a wonderful scholar. forefront Dead Sea Scroll scholar, right? Now that translates over into some of, of uh, rabbinic works as well and uh, and into New Testament studies and all that kind of stuff. But his main focus is Dead Sea Scrolls, right? And so that's my point. Okay, uh, so am I a specialist? No, I'm not a specialist, but I understand what he's getting at. I understand what Andrew's getting at here. And I am going to be writing, uh, you know, writing a thesis and writing papers, even though it's all been put on hold for now to uh, try to redo the site. Um, the point is, is that I will have to interact with some of the rabbinic literature uh, specifically. So I'm going to have to dive into those texts, right? 
However, Andrew's point is is a really good one. We've advocated on this show before for believers, all believers, uh, whether you want to be a specialist, whether you're a plumber, whether you're you know a lawyer, a doctor, it doesn't matter what you're doing. You, we as believers, as disciples of the Messiah Yeshua, we should be studying what our master did. And that's done by studying the word of God, right? We, we find that in the Torah and the Tanakh. And then we find that also, obviously, in the apostolic scriptures. And so the 66 books of the Bible is what we're advocating for, for people. And, and one of the reasons I'm, I'm saying that is because I get it. You know, if I had a, a nine to five job that wasn't in the, the realm of biblical studies like I am, I would have a more difficult time sitting down and, and studying you know, as much as I want to. Um, I still have trouble doing that, even though my, my job is what it is. And so uh, the point is, is that I honestly don't think that it's necessary for the average believer to be picking up a Mishnah or a Talmud. I, I, I think the answer is no. I don't think that you need to do that. In fact, if you're not, you know, if you're not training to be a specialist, if you're not in a field like that or something to that effect, I would say it's vitally important for you to focus on the Bible, on the 66 books of the Bible. Now, of course, there, there might be collateral reading that you're going to do. Maybe you're going to read some, I don't know, maybe some church fathers from time to time, or maybe you'll read Spurgeon, or maybe you'll read some, you know, uh, Calvin or or whatever. I mean, you know, there's, there's all sorts of things that you could read. Maybe um, you'll read modern scholars instead, you know, John Piper, N.T. Wright, and as Andrew uh, stated, maybe even some E.P. Sanders. These people have done the hard work. They're going to show you the, the, the texts that they're talking about anyway. And I think that that's honestly where I probably get most of my Mishnah and Talmud reading anyway. I don't, I mean, I do sit down and read the, the Mishnah and the Talmud from time to time, not as much as I used to, uh, because my focus of study now is becoming into the, into the Gospels themselves, into, into the stu Jesus studies, essentially, the study of Yeshua. What do you think, Rob? I mean, you're way more into the rabbinic literature than I am because that's I, I that really, is your focus of study, yeah, I right? Think it's a great question. I encourage people to read read that. I didn't see where you posted the the notes, uh, show notes, but I went to the Facebook and I didn't see it. But I hope people have access to that the show note uh, letter because um, it's very well written. It's very clear in painting um, the a picture and as a really uh, you know, straightforward and weighty question. And um, one of the phrases, though, is the hard work. Like that, if we could just, I want to zero in on that for a second. There's, there are so many things about that uh, that letter, as short as it is, that are, are really uh, well done. But if we zero in on that, the hard work, I, I understand that his focus is, because there is hard work. For example, like, we're coming, we're in third quarter of Greek right now, first year Greek. And this is where the students are just like, come on already. Right. <laughs> I just, I don't, I can't take one more wave. Right. It's like someone, you know, it's like the ship. I'm, I, I'm, I've been out on the ocean. I need to get to port. Right. I need to rest. Right. And, and it's like, you know, can we just have smooth sailing from here on out? Does there have to be another storm? And then boom, we get hit with another paradigm, you know, and it's like, what? Okay. So, there is that element of hard work. No doubt. And I understand that. Uh, it can be daunting when we're dealing with not just one language, right? We're dealing with Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, um, and then different dialects of, of Aramaic and things, uh, you know.
different things going on with the languages, how they intersect in the first uh, first century or second temple period, etc. And then we have the sea of writings, you know, from the second temple period that are extra canonical. Um, and then you have the scholarly, the layer of scholarly dispute about how to read this or that Dead Sea Scroll fragment, right? Um, and you, you know, you're jumping into uh, a it's kind of like an arena. Like we go to SBL, Caleb, you know what it's like. And uh, uh, Michael wrote a great article, by the way, in our uh, alumni quarterly um, about the experience of going to an SBL and how it really blew his mind. I thought that was really well written. Um, but the point is, is this, is that in that arena, you mentioned Dr. Abeg, there are, there are others that are just as invested and have done all this hard work, but they're not what we would call, to use that word, believers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it is not for the faint of heart, right? And you, you're there and the winds are blowing in, so, in a lot of different ways. And the question is, are you, is your house built on rock? If your house is built on rock, you're fine. But uh, why do I want to point this out? Because I think that there's another aspect to the hard work that I don't want people to forget or take for granted. And that is, it's hard work just being in the body of Messiah, just just applying the Torah through prayer and study the scriptures and being in community and trying to love God, in the, as the Shema says, and trying to love our neighbors ourselves. Mm. That hard work is just, and, and I know this from my own experience, just being in, in a community, the, interacting with, with different kinds of people that have completely different backgrounds and have completely different ways of looking at the world and different learning styles and different temperaments, that is no less difficult than learning Greek, right? I mean, in other words, the hard, there's a hard work built into no matter where you, you plug in to serve Yeshua in, in his flock, you know, for the sake of his kingdom. It's, it, you know, it's going to take everything you have, right? It's going to cost you everything to follow Yeshua. It doesn't matter if you're what we call an academic or if you follow um, you know, some program to bring efficiency to, to getting food to the hungry or dealing with the legal issues for um, uh, you know, protecting life, right? Uh, life is sacred and trying to help women, let's say, uh, choose life. And all the, you know what I mean? There's, you're gonna, we're going to run into challenges no matter what direction we grow in our specialization and our, and our uh, effort, uh, efforts to serve Yeshua. And he's going to refine us along the way, right? We're going to, we don't hit the ground running with a full, a fully complete thing. We, we grow into it over time. And, and all the fruits of the Spirit are there to help us along the way, patience, long-suffering, etc., um, but now, now having said that, that it's all hard work, um, back to the question of the letter is, it, has the hard work already been done pertaining to the study of, let's say, rabbinics and applying it? Um, I, would, I would just say this. I would say we have so many great resources, but a person could start out, let's say, reading, um, reading let's say, Mark seven, right? Because this is one that comes up. Oh, Yeshua declared all foods clean. Sure. 
Okay, well, if I, you know, if I just take the King J or not the King uh, NIV or some of these, and I go, oh, okay, so that's just a scripture. I had someone mention this to me this week. You know, they don't understand the uh, this idea of dietary laws from the Torah because because Mark 17 or Mark 7. And I'm like, wow, you know, there's still people who are, that's where they are. And it's like, well, that person is going to have to grow a little bit, right? And so the, what I see as a hard work that, uh, is, that is for people who might not know that language is very well, but they still have to interact with this person and patiently guide this person and encourage them to look at different translations and to be introduced to uh, the history of the Greek text below it. Okay, but but I feel like you're in the weeds a little bit here. I mean, bring it back to the to the actual question at that hand. Hard, that hard work is still is still there. The hard work of bringing to bear the knowledge that that basically, you know, and I'm going to tout the one Torah position. Uh, yes, we go and, and from Torah resource, we go to SBL, we go to ETS, we read scholarly books and articles, sometimes from people who don't give a you know a hoot about the New Testament or anything like that. But we 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 uh, study, we learn because it, it and we kind of formulate and learn to better articulate what the Torah is, what the gospel is. Um, so that others have have clarity and are growing and um, okay. And, let me wait. Wait. Let nourished. me let me see if I understand what you're what you're trying to say. In other words, you're taking his uh, maybe Andrew's uh, point that other people like E. P. Sanders have done the hard work for him when reading the Mission of the Talmud. And what you're saying is that essentially we're doing the same thing. We're trying to do some of the hard work so that we can put it into terms that people like Andrew and maybe others who aren't specialists. Are going to be able to understand in an easier to, in other words, we're doing the groundwork for them. Is that what you're getting at? We, I, I, I guess I'm trying, and I appreciate, you know, I'm kind of these are, I'm kind of thinking through this as you can tell while we're going here. But I, I want to say that the hard work is not just on one end, right? The hard work is is over the whole load of the whole body of Messiah. They are all bearing. Yeah. So we each have we each, each have to we each have to do our part. Right. And so the, but the scholar, what, what, what one little segment accomplishes and produces then is taken over by another person. And then they, but their, their yoke is not like lighter, right? You know what I mean? There's, it still bears in their world where they're planted in their relationships and their networks to communicate, to communicate. And that's why one translation, it's not like we can just produce a translation of the Bible and then say, there it is. We're done. Yeah, exactly. All the hard work's been done. Yeah, I'm with you. No, why? Because just, and that's why I brought up the the person that contacted me this week, saying, "Hey, come on, man, Mark seven, you know, and uh, Mark seven, Yeshua declared all foods clean." Okay, hang on, just a second. And, so, they, so, and they they believe that that is it, and so sure. that you know, and that's like that feels like that's a conversation I had 20 years ago, and they, yet it's still like a brand new thing yeah. to this particular person. So I guess what I'm trying to say is um, there's still a, a huge field and the laborers, there's still more work than there are laborers. <laughs> okay, hang on just a second. I want to, I we've got a lot of stuff going on here. First of all, yeah. 
Uh, Rob mentioned the alumni quarterly. This is a new thing that's going on, and I, this sounds off subject. I'm going to bring it back to the chat room here in just a few seconds. Uh, so uh, the, let's first give our references here. Uh, Rob uh, mentioned the alumni quarterly. The, only the first issue is up. The second issue, which just went out, which Rob uh, referenced, will be up online shortly. If you're a student at Torah Resource Institute, you'll get, you should get a hard copy unless you live overseas. So the alumni quarterly can be viewed by anyone by going to TorahResource.com, hovering over Institute, then going down to alumni quarterly and clicking on that. Um, second of all, I have now put the show notes on our page on Torah Resource. So if you go to TorahResource.com, hover over radio and go down to the Robin Caleb show, click on that, and then you will be able to see uh, show notes for, uh, for show 174. Click on that. You'll be able to read the entire email of what we've been talking about. In the chat room, we have Bobby. Bobby says, what kinds of introductory resources would you recommend for those unfamiliar with rabbinic sources to begin the to navigate and understand the material without diving into the deep waters of Mishnah Talmud? Well, first of all, what I would do, uh, obviously, to d dive into uh, the text a bit to understand Correctly, what's going on is I would certainly take Rob Van Hoff's class at Torah Resource Institute, Introduction to Rabbinic Literature. And uh, then there are some other resources. If you don't want to take a full class, that is an extremely uh, reading-intensive class. Rob has uh, Rob certainly loads everybody up with uh, with with reading in that class. Uh, we'll ask Rob about his uh, textbooks that he uses for that. One of the books that I've found to be a good uh, a good introductory is called Invitation to the Talmud by Jacob Neusner. I think that that it's short and concise. It gets a little boring from time to time, but it's uh, you know he's done a lot of work in the mission of the Talmud, so that's good. Rob, what do you use uh, for textbooks in your introduction to rabbinic literature? I use uh, Stemberger. Uh, Strack Stemberger. Where, where do I have it here? While he's looking for that, uh, in response to Paul, Paul says, Romans 14 confuses me. If you can explain this for food, please. Uh, yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, this is a great book, by the way. Hang on. I'll get back to Paul's question in a second. Introduction to the Talmud and Mish uh, Midrash by uh, Strack and Stemberger. Par Gunter Stemberger is, uh, uh, yeah. This book is an incredible resource. Even if you don't uh, want to read the whole thing through, have it on your shelf. It, it's uh, I go to it all the time. Uh, back to Paul's question. That's a question that uh, is is not for a passing question. Romans fourteen. However, I would suggest you uh, go to Torah Resource and find my father's commentary on Romans. Uh, that's the best place to look. Okay. Um, are we good with this question then? Um, yeah, I think so. I, well, we do need specialists. So we, in terms of languages, right? We, we, the body Messiah always needs. But that's uh, not the question, right? This is, the question is more for, I mean, we know that, that, that we need specialists, obviously, but he's saying for, for someone who's not a specialist, does he need to pick up the Talmud or the Mishnah? My answer is no. I don't think you need to, if you don't want to. Yeah, I would say, uh, oh, this is what, there was one other point. I'm glad you said that. Um, and just uh, for those people who are interested and just want to dive in and, and read some rabbinic works or the Dead Sea Scroll uh, community rule and, you know, their legal uh, uh, texts, etc., is is just to remember um, context, Right. Um, recognize that this is uh, the words, j no difference than you would read like Josephus or Philo, right? These are um, 
certain Jews who wrote these opinions, and this is the way they viewed the world. And it can be very beneficial in that light. It can help you imagine, get more detail to how you imagine the first century. And that's important, right? Because when you're reading the Bible, um, it's, it's nice to, to, to think, okay, that's right, there were, there were other sects. Right. There were the and what is a sect? Well, you know, some sometimes they broke off from the other community because they felt that they were righteous and they condemned other people. And and we have examples of this, you know, so there's there's things that can be helpful. But they're definitely not scripture. Um, They're not inspired by the Ruach HaKodesh. They're not going to edify you in, in, in terms of your discipleship and growth in obedience to the to the commandments. You know, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in you. And, and um, uh, I think it can be, if you just read too much of that stuff, it can be to where all of a sudden the Bible is just like all that stuff, like it's just all literature. And we want to guard against uh, making it all the same, right? The scriptures is very, very special literature, sacred, that's inspired. Um, and so the, everything else is in the, is kind of this, background painting over a, a history line, a, a chronological sure. line of development. So I, I would say if you have no interest in it, then just stay away with from it, I guess. Okay. Uh, great discussion. And uh, thank you to the, uh, to the chat room for letting me know that Rob's audio was too low. That's me mumbling. It's probably me mumbling. No, it's not. I had you. I had you too low. Okay, um, let's get into our Shavuot conversation. Uh, conversation. Uh, it's uh, we've now spent forty minutes with the first part of our show, which isn't even our main topic. So let's get to it. Um, <clears throat> Shavuot. What is Shavuot? Shavuot is uh, the one of the five high holy days. This is a rundown for people who aren't in the Torah uh, uh, Torah movement yet, or uh, uh, still in the Christian Church, not even interested in Torah. If you don't know what we're talking about, uh, commonly referred to as Pentecost. Pentecost, as uh, our Christian brothers and sisters and, and uh, believers in general should know, uh, is the is probably made most famous in the Apostolic Scriptures for the time when the Holy Spirit came down and uh, manifested in multiple different ways, right, through uh, speaking in tongues and, and uh, through the apostles. Everybody heard in their own language. And this is, uh, I mean, obviously even this this passage itself is, is even just uh, controversial in and of itself for multiple reasons. Uh, obviously we have a, a huge split within the church over uh, uh, speaking in tongues now because of this passage and, uh, and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to get to the manifestation of the Holy Spirit and what changed before and after uh, the Pentecost event in Acts. But first, let's look at a couple of things about Shavuot. For those who don't know, we're supposed to count the Omer, right, from Passover. And everybody, I think, who's heard this show, uh, even in the past month and a half, knows that my favorite holiday of all time is Passover. I enjoy it thoroughly. And uh, then we then we start out and we count the Omer. And every single night, my son and I, we sit down and we say the blessing. And then we then he we have a chart and he has a color crayon and he gets to mark the next one, right? And, and so we count every single night. The funny thing is, is that he now knows the blessings for counting the Omer by heart which is great. Anyway, okay, so why do we count the Omer? The other four high holy days, right? So we have Passover, we have Shavuot, we have uh, Rosh Hashanah, also known known as Yom Teruah, we have uh, Yom Kippur, and then we have Sukkot. These are the five high holy days. Uh, 
on the other four, so Passover, uh, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot, we have a fixed date, right? He says, on thus and such a day, on the 14th day of Nisan, right? Uh, you're supposed to celebrate the Passover. The only one that he doesn't give us a specific date for is Shavuot. <coughs> Pardon me. And the, the the real question is, is why? Why wouldn't, why wouldn't he just say, look, do it on this day? Instead, he says... From uh, well, let's read it. This is a, a great passage to read. Uh, now it's found in two places, and the place that I pulled, uh, I'm so, my my scripture reference is awful. I'm sitting in the office earlier today. Hey, Mike, where where do we find the counting of the oh? I I can't. Yeah. Anyway, um, so th- thanks to the staff that uh, hey. uh, I know I'm, I'm bad, man. It's it's awful. Okay, so we're looking in uh, Leviticus 23, and we're gonna start. Uh, we're going to start in uh, verse 10. Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priests. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord so that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priests shall wave it. And on the day when you wave the sheaf, you shall offer a male lamb a year old without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord. Okay, um, now did I skip it? Where is the counting? Yes, I'm sorry, I skipped it. I do apologize. Let's try it again. Okay, um, starting in uh, Leviticus 23.5, um, here we go. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, at twilight is the Passover. Okay, and then down in... Um, uh, man, why am I not finding it? Hello. First, oh, here we go. Ten. No. All right. Why am I not finding it? Who can help me out here, people? First, well, it's Leviticus twenty-three, right? It is Leviticus twenty-three, okay. but where's the uh, where's the counting of the Omer though? It's right, like in verse. Nine or ten or something. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land, I give you a reap the harvest, shall bring a sheaf the first fruits. No. But you shall yeah, present that's it. food yeah, offering. That's the beginning of it. Seven days on the seventh day is a holy convocation. Yeah, but where's the actual counting of the Omer? Starting with 15. There we Maybe. go. You shall count seven. F- Thank you very much. I knew it was in there somewhere. Okay, my bad. Let's start over. So. Uh, Leviticus twenty three fifteen. You shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. You shall count fifty days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Right. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. Okay. So the first question before we actually get into the divergent counting of the Omer, and th- the reason that this is important is because. Even though Rob and I are going to be celebrating Sukkot, uh, uh, Shavuot rather, on uh, next Tuesday night into Wednesday, and Wednesday will be our Shabbat of of Shavuot, there are a lot of people who are off off of that date by, and probably some people in the in the chat room as well are probably counting differently than we are. So they'll have it what uh, four or five days after, right? Um, and so we'll talk about that in a second. But the question is, is, the real question is, why did God tell us to count 50 days from the day after the Sabbath to Shavuot? Why didn't he just give us a specific date? It's going to be 50 days after the time that he wants us to start counting no matter what, right? Mm-hmm. 
So why? And my suggestion is this, because when we look at Passover, when we talked about Passover, I fully believe that not only is Passover the redemption of Israel out of Egypt, but it's also the prophecy of each one of our individual salvations, okay? And how God reaches into our lives. We're, we're slaves to sin, right? Paul talks about this in Romans 6, slaves to sin, right? God reaches in with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and he brings us through the waters and, and purifies us and now brings us up as a new creation. And now we are slaves, slaves to Christ, right? We're slaves to Christ and no longer slaves to sin. And then what happens? We're sanctified. And the sanctification is shown at the giving of the Torah, which is traditionally placed on Shavuot, right? So the giving of the Torah is, is now that you're mine, I'm going to sanctify you unto me. He does that through Torah. And the point of counting the Omer is to connect the two. In other words, justification and sanctification are connected. Once you are specifically, once you're specifically brought into a covenant relationship with Christ, then what? He sanctifies you, and these two cannot yeah, be separated. You're not left. You're not left an orphan. You're not left like okay, I delivered you're not, you. Now you're not. Yeah, you're, you're not go. left in the in the desert wandering, right? I mean, we, obviously Israel did wander. Okay, I, got, I got you out of there now. Fend for yourself. Yeah, exactly. So, um, well said, Caleb. I think I think that that's why we have the counting of the Omer instead of a specific date of Shavuot is because it is meant to connect the two festivals directly with each other. They cannot be separated from each other. You have to in order to be able to uh, celebrate Shavuot, you have to have Passover. If you don't have Passover, you can't celebrate Shavuot because you don't know when it is. Right? Um, okay. So then the real question that people are dying to know is the counting of the Omer. Right. Connecting them. In other words, they're connected. But the question now is more specifically, how do we connect them? Okay. So uh, let me, let me lay out the two major debates first. And so uh, there's, there's two, there's three real ways of counting the, uh, the, the Omer today. There's really only two that are predominant. And was it the Essenes? Was it the uh, the Qumran sect that counted it the third way after the the last festival Sabbath? I think so. I well, we do... have with the Book of Jubilees, uh, which is second century BC. It just says that Shavuot is the fifteenth of the third month. They just put they just stamp a date right on it. So that's an innovation in and of itself, right? Because like you just point out, the Torah doesn't give a number. Yeah, the Torah wants us to connect. And like it's stepping, you know. Do, 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 do. Yeah, exactly. Um, wants us to make sure that they're connected. Um, but, but you're right. Uh, the the Qumran community held jubilees in very high esteem, and quoted jubilees as if it is an authoritative uh, legal text. And in their in one of the other calendars, the uh, Maaseh Torah, the halakhic letter they call it, um, it is. Uh, given also as the 15th day of the third month, which you can't get to. If you're a Pharisee, you're never going to get there. Yeah. Right? If, if you're counting uh, according to the Pharisaic reading, you're never going to get there. So just in the first century, we have those two uh, different ways of arriving. Um, and, you know, we have other sources 
uh, Philo, which is early first century, and we had Josephus, which is late first century, both say you start counting on the second day of unleavened bread, um, which is the the larger what we would call the Pharisaic tradition. But it's not specific to the Pharisees. It was the larger people did that because you know Philo doesn't really get into being a Pharisee or anything like that. He doesn't seem to be a Pharisee, but he he recognizes accounting. And he's in, dia- he's in the diaspora, and he's counting uh, from the second day of unleavened bread. Um, and it appears that the Septuagint, which of course goes back to the, the uh, third century BC, um, in its translation of Leviticus, understood um, also to be counting from the day after uh, the first day of the feast, so that from the second day of unleavened bread. And that's before there were ever any Pharisees, right? you know, back in the third century BC. So um, that is, so we can kind of trace out and see these different traditions. It's only in the later rabbinic, it's only in the Bavli, I think, so pretty later, where the Babylonian Talmud, the rabbis say that it was the, they associate it with the Sadducees. I'm counting, they, they teach in the Talmud, let me put it this way, that that it was the Sadducees who said Mimacharet HaShabbat, or the, the day after the Sabbath, in Leviticus 23 is uh, the weekly Sabbath. Okay, and so... Which is, so, well, which is different than, the, than what the rabbis want to put. Okay, so, so let's, let, for those who, who might be uh, confused about what in the world we're talking about. So let's read the text again. Um, once again, Leviticus 23, 15, now that we've found it, you shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath. So... The, the the debate that comes up now is what does it mean after the Sabbath? Because on Passover, let's say that, that Passover begins, let's say on a Wednesday night, okay? So that means that Thursday would be a festival Sabbath, okay? Then you also have a weekly Sabbath in the Passover week, right? Which is Saturday. And then you have another festival Sabbath the next following Wednesday, right? Uh, which is the final Sabbath of Passover. So Technically speaking, you have three Sabbaths that it could be. And so this is where the confusion comes for people within the Messianic and the Hebrew Roots movement. Um, and, well, in, in Judaism in general, right? Okay, so uh, so once again, it says you should count for seven full weeks from the day. And, well, okay, we'll break this down a little bit more. Seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf as the wave offering, you shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Now, this is where people... So uh, predominantly now I'm seeing a lot, well, I shouldn't say predominantly, a lot of people now are celebrating, uh, they start counting the day, the Sunday of Passover. So once again, back to our model, if you, if the Passover is on a Thursday and then you have a fest or the weekly Shabbat in the Passover week on a Saturday, those people start counting on a Sunday, right? They always start counting on a Sunday. They start counting the, the, the Omer on a Sunday and they... One of the main reasons is because it says you shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. We start counting after the first festival. Rob and I do. I'm sorry. I, and I know that there are people in the chat room who, who disagree. Um, but Rob and I both start counting from the day after the festival Sabbath, which would be the 15th of Nisan. And people obviously are going to say, well, you just read Leviticus 23, 16 that says you shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Wouldn't that obviously be the weekly Shabbat? And my answer is, 
to that, no, I don't believe it is. And the reason why is because Sabbath can also be used to refer to a week. So in other words, when you say a, a, or, or a group of seven or a group of seven, exactly. Yes. Thank you. Th- much, because, because much better said a little bit later in the same chapter for the groups of seven years. Now I'm not dogmatic about this. Honestly, we got people in our congregation who count after the weekly Sabbath in, uh, you know, they start counting. They still come to our Shavuot celebration, but they c- celebrate theirs as the correct Shavuot. So yeah, I'm not- we have the same. We have people locally here who, who are of the conviction they take Shabbat, the word Shabbat in Leviticus 23 as the literal Sabbath day, which sure. is um, it opens up a different difficulty. Because it's which which Shabbat? The fact it says Ha Shabbat, it's got the definite article there, um, is is a problem that both sides have to interpret. Um, the Pharisaic side says that Ha Shabbat means the Passover, and they will use Joshua five, where it says Mimachrat Ha Pesach, right? It, it it almost interprets it for us there if you're on that side. Um, but if you just want to eliminate all other sources and look at just Leviticus, look at just the passage in Leviticus 23, someone might say, well, it has to be on a Sunday. The Pentecost is always going to be on a Sunday because it's always going to be the day after the Sabbath, um, which is strange because it would just say like the first day of the week or something. But uh, but it always has to be Sunday, what we would call in the Western words Sunday, and that it... Uh, but the other problem is that which which Shabbat then? Uh, okay, hang on just a second. I knew that this was going to be a, a chat room heavy day because the chat rooms, I knew the chat room was just going to have a, a field day with this. And they and they are. And, and this is great. Uh, so uh, Yvonne says, uh, wouldn't you agree? Uh, uh, wouldn't your way of counting lend itself to a fixed date? Yes, it would. But I don't think that, that uh, Shavuot moving is the point of counting the Omer. I th- once again, I think that the point of counting the Omer is connecting uh, Passover and Shavuot to each other. Peter says an incomplete week makes sense, but how do you have an incomplete Shabbat? Well, th- this is exactly why I think... Uh, uh, now, this is one of the reasons in the text in, in uh, Leviticus 23, 15. He says, you shall count seven full or complete weeks from the day after the Sabbath. Well, of course. What I mean... Wouldn't if you're counting Sabbath to Sabbath, of course it's a complete week. Why would he even use the word complete? My point is, is that because it's not fixed to a specific, to a weekly Shabbat. So you have to make sure to say it's a complete week. That's number one. Um, and then Robert says, and this is great. He says, my wife and I actually disagree on this. Mm-hmm. I start immediately after Passover while she starts on a Sunday. Fun times. There you go. You know, that's okay. That's yeah. great. And 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 once again, I, I'm not dogmatic about this, but I will, I, you know, let's go to the one of the other main reasons that I believe that uh, it's after the, the weekly, or after the, I'm sorry, after the uh, festival Shabbat, not after the weekly Shabbat. And that reason is in Joshua. And in Joshua 5.13, it says, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and behold, oh, I'm sorry, in 5.11, Joshua 5.11. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. So the first fruits. They ate the first fruits of the land. And you're not supposed and, and to do... The manna, the manna had ceased. And you're, not, yeah. and you're only supposed to do that once you count the omer. You have to count the first omer to do that. You're supposed to bring the first fruits to the priest. 
So I think it's pretty, in my opinion, I think it's clear that they started counting the Omer the day after the festival Shabbat. And Philip wants to know if there's any uh, place to suggest that Shabbat is used to suggest week. Only, it seems like only in Leviticus 23 do we see that. And we see, we see it. I thought there was uh, one other place. I thought there was one other place. I'll look for it, Philip. Oh. I'll look for it. Anyway, I think that it's, it's, um, and and that's a, uh, an important point. Um, then that's the point of that's where the division in interpretation comes. Um, my view is I'm not going to presume, even though, I mean, I can read the Hebrew without a problem. Leviticus 23, not a problem. I could, you could stop me at any point and say, can you describe to me, you know, this sentence or what is, how is this, what, you know, which binyan is this verb, you know, and I could map it out grammatically for you. So, we're not dealing with translation issue we're, or, or uh, understanding the Hebrew. We're dealing with an area where I don't have access. Hmm. I don't have a Cohen yeah. that, that is, uh, you know, empowered by God with authority who's going to, I can go and ask, hey, can you help me understand the use of the word Hashabbat here in Leviticus 23? Because over here, I, I'm not in that situation. So what the situation I find myself in is one as a disciple of Yeshua thousands of years after the fact. And so I, I look to uh, the apostolic writings as my lens for understanding. And I, and I look at the Apostle Paul, who taught, uh, you know, he said that he was going to be in Ephesus, I think, until Pentecost. So he's counting, and I know he's a Pharisee, and we don't have him, uh, any evidence of him changing his way of counting. And on the flip side, we don't have any evidence from the apostolic writings of Sadducees becoming believers or of, you know, people from uh, the Yachad becoming believers. Um, so it uh, it just seems to me that I, I since I'm not above, you know, I, I'm not above those people, and I'm not ready to make an innovation like that. And so that's my personal conviction. Okay, hang is, on, hang on, though, hang on, though. Michael, I, I want to, I'm sorry, I want to bring this in. Michael makes a great point. In Deuteronomy 16.9, where the command to observe Shavuot is reiterated, it doesn't use the word Sabbaths. Right. It, it doesn't That's say. A great point. It doesn't say you shall count seven complete Sabbaths. And why would it say complete Sabbaths anyway? And this, uh, this is Moses interpreting Levitical law for yeah, he, Israel. He says, right? and you in shall. In other words, Moses is teaching Israel uh, at the end of the forty years. Yeah. And he's explaining law. He doesn't bring the word Shabbat into it to the people. He's he changes them. it to weeks. He and changes it to them, weeks, and and which I think is a valid. And that's that's how the that's how the Pharisees understood it. So in other words, um, just knowing the first entry of the word Shabbat, meaning, uh, you know, it's the seventh day of the week, um, is not enough traction in my view. For the to get me to shift to counting the Omer according to uh, according to that manner, I, I'm I feel like uh, the evidence is on the other side, and that's just that's my personal conviction. Okay, let's let's move on because uh, we're we're crunching time here now. This is a and this is a great email from Alexandria, and uh, thank you for this email. She says, "I was. Uh, I'm sorry to leave that topic so abruptly, and I know it wasn't a good transition. I'm. I'm. I'm a lowly podcaster. I'm not really a radio uh, personality, so you know that's that's why it's so disconjointed. Um, but I want to get to this because this is an important uh, an important email, and it has to do with Shavuot as well. 
She says, I was in a class a couple of weeks ago. A lady asked how people in the Old Testament could be saved if the Holy Spirit didn't come until Pentecost. Those who belong to the Lord are supposed to be sealed with the Spirit, Ephesians 1.13 and 2 Corinthians 1.22. Uh, but does the Tanakh ever talk about this? I know that there is only one way of salvation, and the people prior to Yeshua were saved the same way they were are after Yeshua, by grace through faith. Absolutely, I totally agree. But her question really made me think. And then she gives a couple of points of, of uh, the question. What was the role of the Spirit in the Tanakh? Number two, the Ephesians passage says the, that believers were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. I only know of the Spirit being promised when Yeshua speaks of this in John 14, 15 through 17. So does that mean that the Spirit was not promised to believers in the Tanakh? Did he not come until Pentecost? If so, how can this be? Believers are supposed to be sealed with him. If he wasn't sent until Pentecost, that does, uh, that, then does that mean that everyone prior to this time was not sealed? Wouldn't they have to be if they were truly belonged to God? And finally, are there any verses in the Tanakh that speak of this, that tell believers that they will receive the Spirit once they are his? This is an excellent question. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Uh, and I actually ran into this not long ago, uh, speaking with someone about the Torah and the difference between uh, why we would keep Torah back then and not now. And uh, his reasoning was, well, we have the spirit now. Now we have the spirit. And I said, so they didn't have the spirit before Yeshua came? Uh, and they said, no, they didn't have the spirit. So that would mean that Moses didn't have the spirit of God King David didn't have the Spirit of God, even though he specifically says, take not your Holy Spirit from me, right? Uh, so David specifically says, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. If God could take it from him, that would mean that he had to have had it, right? Right. So obviously something's going on here uh, in the Tanakh that where believers did have the Spirit of God. And I think sometimes... Uh, that they had it in greater ways than we do today in, in some cases. Um, I like uh, a verse, if I may, that I like. Please. Uh, is First Peter 1, 10 and 11. He says, as to the salvation, the prophets who prophesied in the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what the person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. In other words, it says the Spirit of Messiah was in the prophets. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's what First Peter 1 is saying. Yeah. Um, and like you quote Psalm 51, you know, that this... Um, but remember that um, there is a difference in that we there's a, a big... Uh, explosion of knowledge of God, and it's it's a knowledge that that was was uh, kind of shored up in Israel. I mean, we have we have Naaman like on the three year cycle this week. We're reading Naaman from Second Kings five. You know, when Yeshua says, you know, there were you know many uh, skin afflictions in Israel, but where did Elisha go? He went to Naaman. He healed Naaman the Syrian. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and we're given these kinds of examples where um, God is working through his people, but on a whole, the people are, are 
you know, waiting for a, a larger redemption, and they're not out going to the nations and with a bold message of of the unity of, of the God of Israel and that he is sovereign. They're not boldly going to the four corners of the world with that. That doesn't happen until God's ready for that to happen, right? And that and and so there is this important empowerment from the same spirit at Shavuot. And it and it, it's by that spirit that even the government of Israel at the time is broken, right? I mean the the uh, even as John the Baptist preached against uh, the king, yeah. right, for adultery, and you have um, Yeshua knocking the tables over the money changers, and you have Stephen uh, in front of the Sanhedrin, um, and and you have this now. You have this conflict now. You have a spirit, a, a, a spirit-filled people who are full of the ruach in Yeshua against the governments, not just of Israel, but the, going before the governments of the world. And, and so we kind of see the, the story change. God uh, says, okay, now we're going to take this and bring conviction of sin everywhere. Um, so there, there is that difference. But, but in terms of salvation, no. You know, King David, as we've talked about before, was not saved differently, or Abraham was not saved differently, or Noah, you know, than we are. We do have, like this day and age, we have knowledge, access to knowledge that is just amazing and would have blown the minds of, sure. of the generations before us. Yeah. Um, and and that, that has been growing. So I'm going to, you know, I'll, I'll be completely honest. I, I have not, I, when we went to the SBL, let me start over. When we went to the SBL um, this past year uh, and even the year before, um, I was starting to really dive into the doctrine of the Trinity and just kind of uh, investigate some of the debates and, and how this theology kind of, uh, the history of the theology and whatnot. So I actually started buying books on the Trinity and, and these kind of things. Well, this past year, I started buying books on the Spirit because that was the one, you know, I had investigated the Deity of the Messiah. I'd read uh, some really, really great books, uh, Paul and the, you know, Paul and the Trinity um, and and uh, Paul's Divine Christology and, and these kind of things that have really kind of opened my, my mind and my eyes to uh, the Deity of the Messiah in, in a whole new light. But uh, within these books, there wasn't a lot of study on, on the Spirit. And so I started buying up books on, on the Spirit and the role of the Spirit and these kind of things. And just basic uh, pneumatology, um, and that's the, the study of, of the Spirit. Um, unfortunately, I didn't get to them. I still have them sitting on my shelf. And the reason why is because I, I, started, I went in a different direction for my study, as everyone uh, who listens regularly knows. Um, so this is a very good question. And, and my... My knowledge of this uh, is is minimal at best, and I have to uh, fall back uh, to my teachers uh, and and their knowledge of this subject that is far superior to mine, like Rob's, and of course like my father's. And uh, so I went and I looked. There's a uh, article which can be found in our show notes for this week, and it can also be found on TorahResource.com. It's called "Spirituality: Are We Better Off Now." And in this uh, article, my father talks about this specific issue, and I would encourage anyone to go take a look at this specific article. I pulled this from, from his article. He says, quote, The increased mention of the Spirit of God in the apostolic scriptures coincides with the fulfillment, um, yeah, with the fulfillment of the promise 
made by the prophets that in the last days the Spirit would be poured out afresh upon Israel to enable her to be a light to the nations. This seems that the, this means that the Spirit would be increasingly active among the Gentiles as the promised harvest of the nations is realized. That the majority of the apostolic scriptures were from, a hand, from the hand of Paul himself, the apostle to Gentiles, gives yet another reason why the work of the Spirit in the apostolic era is so much more noted than in the Tanakh. In ancient Israel, the Spirit of God is virtually inactive among the nations. In contrast, in the apostolic writings, dominated by the Pauline epistles, the promised activity of the Spirit among the Gentiles becomes a major focus. Paul wanted his readers to recognize the fact that the promised ingathering of the nations begun at Shavuot, Acts 2, was surely in progress, and that God had appointed him to be a major leader in that endeavor. The promised, the promised enablement of the Spirit makes possible the ingathering of the nations. So my father's point, at least the way that I'm reading his point, is that the pouring out of the Spirit at Shavuot, at the, at the Pentecost event in Acts, is really uh, the Spirit now enabling the gospel to go to all the nations. Yeah, as it's, it's, it's Yeshua's plan. Right, at the end of, Mark, or end of Matthew 28, right? All, all authority has been given to me. Go to all nations, teaching them all I commanded you, and I will be with this, the four alls. I will be with you all the days. And then Acts chapter 1, you will be my witnesses, right? You will wait in Jerusalem. You will receive uh, power, exousia, authority. So that's, that's this, this uh, new thing is this. It's like, it's like the horse is waiting there, right? the bell right and you've got this you know the horse is there and all of a sudden bing and the horse takes off right <laughs> it's not it's not that uh um there was no horse and all of a sudden there's a horse running it was just it, it wasn't until the time was set and uh he says what to judea samaria and even to the ends of the world it's like go it's like this is you're going to receive your your marching orders it's awesome 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 so, I, I mean, that's, I, I'm going to have to let that one that, lie. Here's, the, here's one other thing that I want to just tie back down, Caleb, to what you brought up at the beginning, is that it's important, and this is what I think is so beautiful about the Pharisaic way. Even if, if we get, Yeshua comes back and I learn that, oh, I counted Shavuot wrong. Not, it's, it's like, okay, Lord, teach me. Teach me. I'm here to learn. You know, I'm already, he's already taught me to be a good learner, so I just, that's not going to be a problem. I'm not going to argue with him. <laughs> but the beauty here in this instance is, is this connection mm -hmm. between the redemption yes. and the sanctification. But now what do we see is the, the commission, right? In other words, it doesn't even stop with the sanctification. It's now commission to go out and that this message is for everybody. And it takes us back. I love it. On, on Shabbat mornings, we read from Deuteronomy 5 about the Shabbat. And, of course, we remember the Shabbat for two core reasons. One is creation, yep. right? For in six days, the Lord your God made the heaven and the earth. And redemption. And he rested. And redemption. Yeah. And you will remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God delivered you, right? He redeemed you with, a, with his mighty hand and outstretched arm. In other words, it's about his glory. And what's the whole point there in the Shabbat? Is it because... You're going to let your servant rest. Yeah. You're going to let your sojourner who's within your gates rest. Yes. Because, what, what does that mean? It means your lifestyle, your, your behavior in this world is to reflect. It's like you, you hold it up. It should be a type of, uh, of uh, 
recognition anchored in the truth of creation and redemption, and then your behavior celebrates and, and proclaims that redemption by, t- by remembering that you were a slave and so that there are people in the world who are still in darkness, and they too are invited to, to participate in the, in the uh, meal, right? So uh, we have a, another wonderful question in the chat room. And thank you. Uh, the chat room today is, is uh, well, and all the time, the chat room is, a, is really become a, a fun and, and in- integral part of our show um, because a lot of the time the chat room, and if you're not a part of it, I apologize that you can't catch the, the chat, but uh, we, we really do have a lot of fun in the chat room. Uh, people carry on conversations totally separate from what we're talking about sometimes. And sometimes they're talking about exactly what we're talking about, and they're really adding to the conversation. And, um, you know, we'll try to pick up some of the some of the gold that's being thrown around in the chat room and, and try to put it on air. Uh, obviously, we can't just sit here and read the chat room all the time, um, unfortunately, because it, it really is fun to, to... And there are some minds in the chat room that are much smarter than mine. Um, I, I mean, Philip, for instance... What a what a wonderful resource to have in our chat room. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I could praise a lot of people in the chat room. Peter uh, also is a, a wonderful resource to have in there, always challenging us on, on <laughs> what we're saying, which is good. It, it is good for us. Uh, but Peter says, does TR equate Feast of First Fruits with Shavuot, as I believe is correct, or equate it to some kind of separate festival of the first of Omer, like most Messianics? This is a great question. And one of the reasons this is so important to actually discuss, we've talked about this before, I believe, but one of the reasons it's so important to reemphasize is because if you look into Christian scholarship, a lot of the time, if not most of the time, uh, they will refer to Omer 1 as first fruits. And why do they do that? There's actually a good reason they do that. They're not just trying to twist scripture or whatever. Uh, there's a, there's a good reason they do that. However, scripture calls Shavuot first fruits. And so I agree, Peter, that Shavuot is first fruits. However, sometimes you will hear, I think I've even written it before, uh, Omer 1, I have referred to Omer 1, the first Omer, as first fruits. And the reason why is because you're supposed to bring your first fruits to the priest on the first day of the Omer as an offering. Yeah, that's Leviticus 23.10. It's called the Reshit, the Reshit Ketzirchem, the, the first of your harvest. So the thing is Reshit, sometimes it's translated first fruits, but it's just the word Reshit. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's understandable. They, they should not be confused. I think that's, we all agree, it should not be confused. And properly the point is the counting to the, the 50th, right? Uh, where I, is Shavuot? I'll admit that I actually uh, was confused by this until very recently, by the way. Um, so this is one reason that it's kind of very important to me. And the, the reason why is because Dr. Petrie in his book, Jesus in the Last Supper, um, he refers to Omer 1 as first fruits pretty much all the time. And it was confusing me because I in the very beginning, I couldn't figure out why is he referring to like what is he referring to? And then I then I picked it up. And now that I've read a lot on the Last Supper, I realize that a lot of scholars now are well in in recent in recent scholarship, at least in Jesus studies, use Omer one. Uh, they refer to Omer one as first fruits, and, and I understand why now. And actually, Rob's the one who explained explained that to me. Um, so, but well, in the the uh, I'm typing it in the chat room here. You're good. It's a matter between Reshit and Bikurim. 
And they both can be translated as first fruits, right? So as firsts. Sure. So um, I can understand in, in English that's we're going to get that. And so you just have to dig a little and say, okay, which verse are you looking for and what's the word, what word are we looking at? But I agree. Then, I agree with Peter though. The festival of first fruits is Shavuot, which is 50 days after it's the, you know, it's the counting of the 50, 50th Omer and then, and then first fruits. Right. But you're bringing first, you're bringing your first grain as the Omer every day of of the omer so you actually do have first fruits before you you you're seeing the first fruits of the harvest before well, the festival the of uh, yeah. is the the first of your cutting of the harvest but but it's there shouldn't be anybody calling and that's what pj just makes his point um i don't know any messianics who call omer one yom habikurim i maybe maybe obviously he has and others probably have so uh, that would be inappropriate to call it Bikurim. So, okay, uh, this has a, uh, been a, a great conversation, a great discussion, and uh, you know, it, it reminds me, uh, even you know, uh, with like I said, we have some juggernaut minds in the chat room, which uh, and and they are very good at challenging us, and they're very good at, at uh, keeping us on our toes. There's no doubt about that. I knew that we would. Uh, I, I I knew that we would see some uh, some controversial or not controversial, but some disagreement uh, on the on the counting of the Omer today. And uh, this is it. Just reminds me that I'm still a student. You know, it reminds me that I'm I'm still learning and that I'm. Uh, you know, we we got to be humble. We can't be dogmatic about things like that because. I, and, I, you know, people in the chat room <laughs> might disagree with me. They might say, uh, well, we can't be dogmatic about it. It's clear in the text. Well, okay. Um, I'm not going to be dogmatic about it in terms of, of counting the Omer and whatnot. But uh, I sure do appreciate uh, the people that we have in the chat room and the people who write us emails and everything like that. Um, so I, no matter if you're celebrating Shavuot next, uh, next Wednesday or if you're celebrating it a bit later, we will have a show next Wednesday. It will just be pre-recorded, so you will not see a chat room uh, on YouTube. Um, so for those who, who are, are, uh, normally in the chat room. Um, okay. So, uh, I'm going to get back to trying to build this website for everybody. <laughs> Anything you want to say before we go, Rob? Uh, no, well, one, one final thing, uh, just, yeah. It, it, and someone put it, uh, Eve just said, it's good not to fall out over it. Yeah. That we want to, um, have joy. Sure. In our redemption, we want to have our priorities right. And, you know, we can nitpick about this, but there's other places of the Torah trying to apply it in our day and age that we could equally get nitpicky about. So um, back to back to our priorities. What are our to- uh, priorities in Torah and where are the places where we have to accept that we have imperfect, uh, imperfect understanding and we're trying to to. Uh, we're not trying to be deceiving with the word of God. We're not trying to handle it with trickery or anything like that. We're trying to uh, be level-headed and sober in our thinking and our interpretations. Um, but it's not, it's it, it is yeah. good, you know. On on that note, it's one of the things that we're trying to do is we're trying to show the the various sides of it. And the reason why is because it's important as believers to understand the various aspect of why these uh, conversations go on. And something like Shavuot might be uh, uh, easier to understand. Uh, you know, uh, when we get into uh, doctrines such as the Trinity, uh, this this is obviously much more in depth than a lot of people will give 
uh, give weight to. Uh, you know, they'll just say, oh, it's from the Roman Catholic Church or something like that. Well, n- no, it's not. So, and I'm not, this is not trying to get into the, to the t- Trinity uh, debate. It's, to me, it's more just saying we need to be aware of what, what the conversations are, what the evidence is for both sides, and, and, and weigh them according to what the Bible says. And that, that's really what we're trying to do. So until next time, I hope that everybody enjoyed this. Uh, d- don't forget to uh, give us a call. We'd love to hear, uh, hear messages and also emails. Uh, you can give us a call at 253-465-3205. That's 253-465-3205. Shoot us an email, chag at torahresource.com. At Seahag at TorahResource.com. Next week, we're going to have a very special guest on. And we hope that uh, you will come and take a listen, whether or not you're celebrating Shavuot. Maybe you'll be sleeping. You can watch it on demand. Or maybe you're celebrating Shavuot a different day. That's fine. You can listen on Wednesday morning uh, just the same. And uh, yeah. So until next time, we hope that this conversation, and not only that, but this upcoming Shavuot does one thing. It glorifies our great God and Savior.